0: But before we get to our scripture reading for this morning, actually, you can open it up in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've got a Bible with you. The words will appear on the screen. Uh, but as you do that, I'm, I'm keen to know, you don't, need to put your ha- uh, you don't need to tell me what they are, but do put your hands up. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Has anyone made a New Year's resolution this year? You don't, you don't need to tell us what it is, but just, is there one? You're an unambitious lot, aren't you? <laughs> no New Year's resolutions at all? Or some, some little hands almost going up as in their small goals, maybe. It's interesting. I, I haven't really, you know, I haven't written down any goals for this year. But I, I sort of, I do have some implicit ones and ones that are in the back of my head. But the beginning of a new year, it's, it's a natural time to start making plans, having dreams, setting goals... We think about what we want to be, where we want to go, what we want to do. And I think it's, it is a good thing for us to do. I think it's great to sit down and actually put some conscious thought into our lives rather than just drifting along aimlessly. And whether or not you do that at New Year's doesn't matter. And I think it's particularly important for Christians. Of, of all people, we should be people who who care about how we spend our days. God's given us a limited time on this earth, let's not waste it. But the thing about New Year's resolutions, the thing about making plans at all, that I think is is most helpful, is that they reveal what it is that we truly prioritise. They reveal what we think is most important in life. And so whether or not you make New Year's resolutions or not, a question that's good for us all to answer is, what is going to be your priority in 2023? What's going to be the thing of first importance? And it's my hope today that you'll choose to make not your finances or your savings or your health goals or your travel plans, but the gospel your priority this year. So We're going to take a look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians 15, where we see that we need to remember the gospel, that we need to stick to the gospel, and to do that, we need to prioritize the gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, open up 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing a letter to Christians living in the Greek city of Corinth, and these are the words that he writes to them. Can you flick to the. Good. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Let me pray and then we'll look at these words together. Father God, we do thank you for this gospel, this gospel by which we are saved. Lord, open our eyes and our ears now to hear this gospel afresh. But keep us from being so overly familiar that we neglect to see its importance. Help us know that this gospel is the gospel that we must cling to, the gospel that we must prioritize today and every day. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Three things that we're going to notice in these, these the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15. The first of them is that we need reminding of the Gospel. Now, just in case you need to get your bearings here, uh, this is a letter written to Christians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to people who are followers of Jesus. And a Christian is someone who, by definition, knows and believes the gospel. Right, you you can't be a Christian and not know the gospel. It's impossible. It's a contradiction. A Christian is someone who has taken hold of the gospel. And yet, 15 chapters into a letter written to Christians who know and believe the gospel, Paul feels the need to tell them the gospel again. He says, "Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received." And on which you have taken your stand. And in verse 3, he even goes on to kind of spell out that gospel. The thing that Paul wants to remind the Corinthians of, the message that he received, the message that he passed on to them as a matter of first importance is that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, Paul's kind of going back to basics here, isn't he? This is the, the ABCs of Christianity. The kind of stuff Paul might have shared with someone who knew nothing of the Christian faith. But here he is sharing it with Christians. Like, it sounds almost like if I were to go up to you and say, let me remind you of the alphabet. Come on, you sing it with me. A, B, C. You can't, Come on, I, I know that. Yes, Paul, we get it. Jesus died for our sins, of course. He came back to life again. We, we know. Tell us something new. Tell us something we don't know. It's so simple. A, a child can get it, and yet Paul knows that it's so important that 15 chapters into a letter written to people who already know the gospel... He feels the need to remind them of it. And, and here's why. We all need reminding of the Gospel. And it doesn't matter if we've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades. We, we all need reminding of this Gospel. And we need reminding because, functionally, we forget it. Now, we, we don't actually forget, at least if, if you are struggling to remember it in your mind, that's a different problem. Go talk to the doctor about that one. But it's not a problem with our heads, it's a problem with our hearts. We forget the gospel when its message fails to impact our lives. Let me show you what I mean. I want you to think for a second about the problems that you encounter each day. Think about a conflict that you have had recently. Maybe you had a fight with your husband or wife on the way to church this morning. They always happen on the way to church. Maybe it was an argument that erupted over Christmas lunch. Maybe there's this recurring bitterness between you and your kids or you and your parents. Think of a specific conflict in your life. Got one in your head? Think about it. And then answer me this question. Whose fault was it? Was that fight caused by you or the other person? It was their fault, wasn't it? Just like the time before, and the time before, and the time before. And just like it is every time. It's always their fault. Isn't it crazy how it's always the other person's fault? It's the same when you're driving and you nearly hit someone, or really, the other person nearly hits you. Because it's, it's their fault. It's the same reason that your boss can never do anything right. It's the same reason why everything the government does is so idiotic. It's because everyone else is wrong except you. Now, perhaps that's true. Maybe you are the only person who always makes right decisions and always does everything perfectly. Or maybe, just maybe, there's a problem with you too maybe it's not the other person who's always wrong. Maybe you're actually contributing something. You You see, our default factory setting wants us to see that we are the supreme standard of rightness and goodness in the world. Our natural instinct is to think that there is something seriously wrong with the world and it's their fault. And even when we do find the humility to recognise that maybe we're not perfect and maybe we do contribute something to this problem, we still tend to minimise our own wrongdoing while maximising the wrongdoing of others, don't we? Tell me if I'm wrong, I, I think we all do this. It's why every childhood argument begins with, she started it. It's why every marriage squabble features the line, if you would just and then fill in the blank. Deep inside, all of us think that we're right. That our ideas are better than other people's, that our motives are pure, and that our actions are faultless. If heaven and hell were decided by averages, most people think that they are better than average. And friends, Christians we are particularly prone to this kind of thinking. It's so easy for us to have that holier-than-thou mentality where we look down on other people and shake our heads at how sinful they are. It's so easy for us to become like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable who prays, thank you, God, that I am not like other people. You see, our natural instinct is to think of ourselves as good people, To think that we are mostly right. To think that we are in fact better than others. But it's thinking like this that has forgotten the gospel. Because the gospel flips our default position on its head. Because we tend to operate as if we are the standard of morality and everyone else should be compared to us. The gospel teaches us that God sets the standard and none of us have measured up. We think there's something wrong with the world and they started it. The gospel teaches us that there is indeed something wrong with this world and we too are guilty. We operate as if our own goodness and morality might make us acceptable to God. The gospel teaches us that nothing we can do can make us acceptable. Friends, We need reminding of this gospel because functionally we are so quick to forget it. Now, not all the time, but so easily. We need to be reminded that Christ died for sins because that's what our sins required. The death of the perfect Son of God was the only sacrifice that could make atonement for our sins. Christ's blood was the only thing that could fix this mess that we have created. And any attempt that to fix the problem of sin ourselves is like any attempt I make to fix my own car. We need to be reminded that Christ died for our sins. Because that's how bad our sins are. And we need to be reminded that, God, that Christ conquered sin and death by rising again from the grave. Because, friends, unless we constantly remind ourselves of this gospel, unless we constantly remind ourselves of this message, either we will completely despair at our constant failing to live up to God's perfect standards, or we'll grow within ourselves an awful kind of arrogance that thinks that we don't need a saviour at all. Unless we are reminded of this gospel, we will panic or we'll become proud. Only the gospel can kill that arrogance and, and alleviate that despair as we're reminded that our sin is so great that Jesus needed to die, but then that he did die and that he was willing to die. He was glad to die for us. That's the first thing. We need to learn. We need reminding of the Gospel. The second thing Paul shows us is why we need reminding of the Gospel. And we need reminding because it's only by sticking to this message that we'll be saved. He says in verse 2, by this Gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. You see, it's entirely possible to know the gospel at an intellectual level, to know it in your head and then to actually let go of it, isn't it? To think that you don't need it, to try to move beyond it. Picture a swimmer swept out to sea by a rip. They're struggling to keep their head above the water. They're in real trouble. They know they're in real trouble. And then they see those lifeguards coming straight towards them in the rubber ducky. The lifeguards throw them a ring, it's on a rope, they're safe. Not quite. They're safe if they take hold of that rescue, right? They're safe if they take hold of the ring. They're safe if they listen to the lifeguards. But they can't just, they can't just sit there and ignore this rescue, It's no good if they try and swim back to shore and go, ah, now that the lifeguards are here, I feel strengthened, I'll do it myself. No, no, no. They need to take hold of that life ring and they need to not let go. That's the only way they will be saved. And friends, it's the same with the gospel. The rescue is here. It is our only hope that Christ died for sins and rose again. And that is great news if you take hold of it and if you stay flinging to it it's just utterly useless for us to kind of say that oh jesus died for sins unless we take that extra step to trust that his death is enough for my sins there's all the difference in the world between knowing that jesus offers salvation and actually receiving that salvation all the difference between knowing the gospel and taking hold of it for yourself. And so, friend, let me ask you, have you taken hold of this gospel? Have you received it? Is Jesus your saviour? Friend, if you haven't, you can, you can do that today. You can make 2023 the year that you receive the gospel. And and friend, see the, the encouragement and the comfort from these words. By this gospel, you are saved. By this message, you know you are forgiven. You can be confident that you are in right relationship with God when you take hold of this gospel that you belong to him and that you'll continue to belong to him forever. Friends, we need to be reminded of the gospel again and again and again. We need to hold firmly to the message of the gospel, not letting go, not walking away. But friends, if we're going to do that this year, if we're going to be reminded of the gospel, if we're going to take hold of and not let go of that gospel? Well, we need to make the gospel a priority. In verse 3, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. First importance. When Paul planted a church in Corinth, there was a million things that he could have done. He could have focused his attention on finding a building for them to meet in. He could have focused his attention on appointing elders. He could have focused his attention on, you know, uh, lobbying the local government. He could have focused his attention on feeding the poor. He could have done all sorts of good things. He could have done all sorts of important things, wise things. But the thing that was of primary importance... The thing that got the most of his energy, the best of his time, was the proclamation of this gospel. His number one priority was to deliver to the Corinthians the good news that he had received, the good news that Christ died for their sins and rose again to offer new life. It was his priority. Everything else came after. Now... In our day, we talk a lot about priorities in in the plural sense. And there's a first priority, a second priority, a third priority. And I'm told, I I haven't been able to work out if this is true or not. I need someone who's got a better understanding of the English language. But I'm told that it's only very recently that we actually started using the word priority in a plural sense. It's always been a a singular word, priority. Priority. Which would make sense because by definition a priority is the thing that is more important than all other things. There is the priority, singular, and then there is everything else. Now, whether or not it's true about the singular plural thing, I don't think it really matters. Because what is for certain is that the gospel must be the priority by which any other priority bends, to which any other priority bends. The the gospel must be the non-negotiable, the unchanging, the unyielding priority in our lives. Because unless the gospel is the priority, the thing of first importance, then we'll forget it and we'll stop clinging to it. We'll, We'll stop holding firmly to it. Something else will move in. Friends, Christianity is not something we can dabble in. You've got hobbies that you dabble in, you know, things that you do occasionally here and there when you've got a bit of time. I dabble in photography. I haven't touched my camera in weeks. I dabble in surfing. I haven't touched my surfboard in months. So many people try to dabble in Christianity. They, they, they dip in and out. They, they, they do it for a bit. They go away for a bit. Friends, I don't think Jesus gives us that option just think about who Jesus says he is. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God except through me. He's the one who says, anyone who wants to come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. He, he doesn't really hold open the option of dabbling. Either he is Lord and King and he will, you'll offer all of your life to him. Or or he's not. Dabbling is inconsistent with who we say Jesus is. And so friends, can I invite you? Whether or not you've got New Year's resolutions, whether or not you have goals for this year, can I invite you to ensure 2023 is a year where Jesus and his gospel become and remain the thing of first importance? Make the gospel your priority. Prioritise the gospel this year by reading God's word. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word, the word that Paul preached to the Corinthians, the word that you have in your hands. Make it a priority. I'm always reluctant to tell people to try and do a Bible in a year because that usually ends in disappointment and guilt commit to reading the bible at some point regularly this year you know what is an achievable goal for you but but commit to actually doing it make it a priority make it a priority to be at church i mean i'm talking to the people that are here on new year's day so probably not the audience i need to address but make it a priority to gather with god's people on the, on the way in, you would have received a little invite to join a growth group this year. I, I, I hate the idea of using a sermon as a promotion for a church activity, but, but genuinely, I think this is a good way for us to prioritise the gospel. Genuinely, I think this is a, a good way for us to ensure that we stick to this message, that we're reminded of this message and that we remind each other. Friends, make it a priority this year to be reminded of the gospel, to stick to this gospel, because by this gospel, this gospel alone, that we are saved. Let me pray. Father God, we praise you again for the good news that not of anything that you saw in us, not because of anything that we could do, but out of your sheer love and grace, that you sent your son to die for our sins and that he rose again to offer new life as he overcame death and sin. Lord, this is good news. It's a simple message, a message that many of us have known our whole lives, but we pray that it would be our priority this year. We pray that it would be the message that we cling to because we know it is the message that is of supreme importance. Lord, refresh us with the joy we had when we first heard it. Enable us to marvel again at the depths and riches of your love that you looked on us, sinful, rebellious people with love and that you invited us to become your children. Refresh us with the hope of knowing that if we stick and hold firm to this gospel that we will enjoy you forever. Enable us to prioritise this gospel this year we pray. Strengthen us by your spirit. Enable us to be a community that encourages one another in the gospel. And so we pray that at the end of this year, we may be a people who know this gospel and who treasure this gospel and who even proclaim this gospel more than we did right today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.